Good morning, Desert Breeze. Our text this weekend is John chapter 20. I'll be reading verses 11 through 23 and verses 30 through 31. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means Jesus, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. This is the Word of the Lord. Good afternoon. How are we doing this morning? I know you're like, wait, that's not Pastor Ray. Pastor Ray was up there. Where's Pastor Ray? What's going on? Sorry, I'm not Pastor Ray. Um, you, you notice how... Several of us who come up here, we all come up to teach, and then the first thing we do is we apologize for being Pastor Ray. <laughs> it's, like, it's like we're going to an AA meeting. It's like, hi, this is my second time teaching. I'm not Pastor Ray. And you're like, hi, Luke. Let me tell you about how I'm not Pastor Ray. I, I think there might have been a mix-up this morning because, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're talking about the resurrection this morning. That means I get to teach Easter, right? It's October. We're, we're, this is Easter. So pretty excited about that. And <clears throat> it's like Christmas in July. And because it's so special, that's why this morning I want to talk to you about tacos. Now, I know some of you guys are sitting there right now going, hey, 
That's not a taco. Don't worry. I got you covered. I got you covered. Whatever your preference. I love tacos so much. I love the Jack in the Box tacos, which I have heard described as soggy cat food in a deep fried tortilla. And it is delicious. It's delicious. I want to I talk about the nutritional facts about tacos with you, right? You look at a taco, there's like, you got your proteins, and you got your dairy, and you got your vegetables, and you got your grains, and it's all wrapped in a handheld package, right? Now, I could, I could tell you all the nutritional facts about tacos that I have, but if I don't give you a taco, you're going to starve to death, right? So, but once I give you a taco, and you taste the taco, and then you're like, and then, and then I go back and I say, hey, do you want to hear some more nutritional facts about tacos? You're like, no, I don't. Could I have another taco? Right? So you're like, okay, Luke, I get it. You like tacos. Why are you going on about tacos? Um, the thing about tacos is tacos are like the gospel. I could tell you all the nutritional facts in the world about the gospel, but if you don't have Jesus, you're still going to starve to death. So we're going to talk about the facts of the resurrection this morning, but really what I want to present to you this morning is Jesus. Because if you go away with just some nutritional facts, then that doesn't lead to life. Jesus leads to life. So what I want to give you this morning is Jesus, right? We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look about the proof, the purpose, and the power of the resurrection. So we're just going to skim the first two, and then we're going to focus on the third, right? Because Romans, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a well-reasoned argument with lots of facts and proofs along with it so that you might believe. That's not what Romans 1.16 says. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. If the story of Jesus had stopped at the crucifixion, then Jesus would just be another prophet who came, preached the word of God, and was killed for it. We have a whole Bible full of that. But in the resurrection... We see a Jesus who returns triumphant, having accomplished what the Father set before him, humbling himself to the point of death, having defeated sin and death. He is now going back to the Father to be seated at his right hand and restored to his place of glory to reign forever. That's what we want to focus on this morning. So let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we ask for you to come this morning, that you would pour out your grace and your mercy on us, that we would know you better, that we would go away this morning with a love for you and a joy for you that would overflow from our lives to everyone around us, that we would be the salt and the light of the earth. We ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that we could carry that message forth. We ask for it in the name of your son, Jesus, and we pray, amen. Right, so Christianity, so, so we're going to go proof, purpose, power. And the first two we're just going to skim over, so we're going to go quickly. Uh, Christianity isn't just a shut-your-brain-off religion, right? It's not just a come and believe what the man in front of you says. And in fact, if you think about, if you really think about what the story of Christianity is, it does make sense. It's not that it doesn't make sense. It's that when you believe the story of Christianity, you're like, 
I'm good with all of the stuff that Jesus is promising me. I'm good with all of that. It's just when it gets to the part where he's got to be my Lord. And I don't really want to give up my authority. So, I, so now I'm going to try to pick this apart and figure out why it doesn't have to apply to me. Right? But, but the story itself, we can believe it to be true. So we're going to uh, read verses 3 through 10 here. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, the other disciple being John. And, and, and as we look at these scriptures, we're going to see some of John's personality come out in, in these passages. And we're going to see how John begins to explain this to us. Like, just this part right here. Why did John wrote down that he outran Peter? Like, is that just him, you know, 15 years down the line as he's writing the Gospel of John, and he's like sitting there with whoever, and he's like, hey, I'm going to put down how I beat Peter to the tomb. And he's like, you think I should, is that bad? Should I stick that in there? And he's like, yeah, Peter will get, get mad when you say that, right? But it's, it's, it's these little details that, that stick in there. And it says, um, uh, so John reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So as John is recounting this tale, he's going to say the word saw three times, but he's going to use three different words, or he's going to use three different meanings for that word. And because he's using three different Greek words each, each time he says it. So this first time he says he saw the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And so this word saw... It just means like he glanced in. He took in what was in front of him. And that's really all. It's like, it's like I see John here, and he's got a headband. That's as far as, that's as, far as, as John in this, in this patch is gone. He's just like, I see it. It's in front of me. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So here now, we get a little more detail. And the word saw here means that I see and I begin to evaluate. I begin to process what it is I'm seeing. So they go into the tomb, and there's like, okay, Jesus' body isn't here. The linen is still there, and the cloth is still there. And I'm, I'm trying to process what's happening here. Finally, the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, there's this, you know, dig at Peter again, also went inside. He saw and believed. And so this last saw, it means that he comprehended. So he, he looked at it, he evaluated the evidence, and he came to a conclusion. And it says he saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So he doesn't he doesn't really understand why this is happening. He's like, I see this. Somehow, some way, Jesus is alive. I don't know what's going on, and I'm going to go home and think about it. So they, they leave, and we kind of see this progression that, that John goes through. And so we're going to kind of go through that same progression, and we're going to look at some of the evidence as to why, on an intellectual level, I can say, yeah, this, this happened. Um, so the first thing was the tomb was empty. If these were grave robbers or if these were just people trying to do something, are they going to like unwrap the cloth and then leave the cloth there? Are they going to leave this other linen lying there? And beyond that, 
How many of you guys have ever been to Israel? A couple. Have you guys taken the tour where you can go around Israel? You can see where Jesus preached. You can see where Jesus healed somebody. Even Old Testament, we can go out into the desert and we can see where stuff happened. Where's the tomb at? I don't know. You know why? Because they didn't care. Jesus wasn't in there. He was laid in the tomb, but the next day, he was gone. The tomb didn't matter anymore. There's no celebration of where the tomb was. Jesus was walking around. They were going to find Jesus where he was at, and that wasn't the tomb. We have no idea where the tomb was. We just know that it was there. Beyond that, we have eyewitnesses' accounts of this. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 7, Paul says, this is about 15 years after Jesus' resurrection, says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day to, according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the, all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. So this is Paul talking about it. We have all these eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus after he was dead, so much to the point that Paul says, look, you don't have to believe me. There were 500 people there who saw Jesus. He appeared to the apostles. You can go and talk to any one of them and see that Jesus was alive. If you wanted to, and, and let's, let's take a look at who his first eyewitness account was. His first eyewitness was Mary. Now, in that day, in the court of law, a woman wasn't allowed to give testimony. It wasn't considered evidential enough. Like, it, it wasn't valid enough. So not only does Jesus first appear to Mary, but this is Mary Magdalene, former demon-possessed prostitute. That's who he's going to send out to convince everybody that he's risen? If, if you're going to create a fake account of what happens, then you're going to go find some pillar of the community to bribe him to go around and talk about, oh, I saw Jesus, and this happened, and this happened. But we don't get that. We get, an, we get, this, we get an account of what they saw and how it happened, regardless of how that's presented. Um, if you think about where the disciples were at this time, the last time they were with Jesus, they were scattered and abandoned. And when he first appears to them, they're locked in a room. And that's not, the, 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 the part about that though is within a month or two, they were out preaching the gospel and converting all these people. These, are, are we going to try to say that these people who were scared and afraid and staying in a locked room are just going to suddenly decide to go out and perpetuate this lie and, and convert all of these people from this. We can see from the actions that something happened to these guys that made them go out. They believed in what they were doing. And if we talk about the, the eyewitness of it, what, what if we look at Paul for that matter, right? Paul's conversion, he was called the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He wasn't just Jewish, he was a Roman citizen. So he was likely wealthy, he had a good education. He was at the top of the Israeli hierarchy of society. It didn't really go much above what he was at. And what did he gain by 
converting and preaching the gospel of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul recounts some of his uh, ministry time. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Is, is Paul running around like winning? When he, was, when he was stoned, the account in Acts that talks about him being stoned, it says they stoned him, they checked his body to make sure he was dead, and they were like, yep, he's dead. And then they threw him off of a cliff. And it says that at the bottom of the cliff, then he stood up and he went on his way. Now, it doesn't say in the Bible this, but I've heard people say, like, stonings, I mean, they weren't like, hey, it's the afternoon stoning at 3 o'clock, let's go do it. But it was often enough that, like, Paul didn't hold his breath long enough to trick him. He's like, right? They, a lot of people think that he actually died from that stoning and that God resurrected him. Now, I'm not saying that because I don't know that to be the case, but, but I've heard people say maybe that's what happened because how, how did he convince them that he was anyway that's superfluous to what we're talking about so so but here's the here's the last thing these people died for him if if you were going to carry on this lie in this myth and you weren't getting paid for it because these people weren't getting paid for it at the point that you were about to be martyred for this lie that you're perpetuating, at that point you'd be like, hey guys, I, it was a joke. I, it was all a joke. We, we hid the body. It was a joke. Do, I, you don't have to burn me. It was all a joke, right? But they were changed so much so that it didn't matter that death was waiting for them because they had Christ. So that's just kind of an overview of, of why it's not intellectual suicide just to believe in the gospel, right? So the next thing I want to talk about is the purpose of the resurrection. So that was, that was the proof of the resurrection. This is the purpose of the resurrection. Have you heard this phrase, there are two things in life you can count on? What are those? Death and taxes. I don't know what that says about the IRS that, that you're like, I'm afraid of dying. I'm also afraid of not paying my taxes. But even then, it's not even death is taxes because I can just not pay my taxes and go to jail. So I don't even have to be worried about paying my taxes so long as I don't mind three meals a day, room service, and being told where to go. You know, if I'm okay with that, hey, I don't have to pay my taxes. So, so the only thing really certain in life is death. And it's interesting to look at how we, how we deal with and how we handle death. If you look at some of the ultra-wealthy, I mean, just people who have so much money, they reach a point where uh, it's, they could buy whatever they want, and, and there's no satisfaction in that, and they get a little older, and they're like, hey, I'm still going to die. I have all this money, but I'm still going to die. And so you see a couple different ways that they handle this, this revelation to them. And one is like somebody like Bill Gates. So you take a look at somebody like Bill Gates, and he was not looked upon well as he amassed his wealth with Microsoft, right? He did not have the best reputation. The company did not have the best reputation. And since then, 
He has done everything in his power to change that view of himself. He established the Gates Foundation, and he, um, uh, he said that I'm going to give away 40% of my income to charity. And when you're the second or the top wealthiest man in the world, that's a lot of money. And so he's doing everything in his power to try to outrun death in that you would remember him. And he's like, hey, if I'm remembered, then I've beaten death. You know, you look at, if you go to New York, you see Carnegie Hall. That's because Carnegie, in the early 1900s, after he had spent decades destroying people's lives by generating wealth in the oil and the railroad and the banking industry, he's like, hey, I, you know, people are going to remember me poorly, and i got to do something about that. So that's one way you see him deal with it. The second way is when you have so much money and you just don't care what people think. So you look at Jeff Bezos. He's the founder of Amazon. He started this company, Blue Origin. They just recently, a couple weeks ago, took a rocket up into space. And when Jeff Bezos came back down, he gave this uh, speech afterwards. And he said, hey, I just want to thank you. If you shopped at Microsoft, if you're, an, or, I mean, not Microsoft, if you shopped at Amazon, if you were an employee at Amazon, then you paid for this trip. Thank you. Right? There's somebody who doesn't really care what you think of him. He's like, I got all the money in the world. You don't really, I don't really care what you think. And so Jeff Bezos' approach to this is he just recently um, invested in Alto's Labs, which is doing genetic research to extend the life. So he, his approach is just, I got so much money, I'm just going to throw money at this thing until I can beat death. And that's his approach. But that's the thing. No matter what we do in life, death waits for us. And so we can look at previous religious leaders. Joseph Smith, dead. Gandhi, dead. Muhammad, dead. We can look at uh, even the founders. You know, in, in this time, they looked to Abraham and Moses. Abraham and Moses both died. In this, in the resurrection, this is your first fill in the blank, we see that Jesus came and defeated sin and death. Now, you could be like, well, hey, uh, you know, Lazarus was risen from the dead. Did he defeat death? No, because Lazarus was still going to die. This was just like a little extended holiday for him because after his time, he was still going back to dead. When, when, um, uh, when he raised the widow's son, who did it raise the widow's son? Um, Elijah, when he raised the widow's son, the son was going back to dead, right? Jesus is the only one who doesn't go back to dead after his resurrection, Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And in 1 Corinthians 15.55, Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Certainly there's sadness when our brothers and sisters die, but there is joy because Jesus conquered death. And that's our next fill in the blank, is that we share in that victory. There's, there's sadness that our brothers, and sisters leave or our brothers and sisters leave us, but there's joy because we know where they're going and we know where we're going. Romans 6, 5 said, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. 
Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus conquered death, he conquered sin, and we share in that victory with him. So that was the proof and the purpose of death. The proof, the purpose, Jesus came to defeat sin and death. Oh, the, the proof and the purpose, purpose of the resurrection. So now we're going to talk about the power of the resurrection. So we titled this morning's message, Overcoming Life's Trials. And we're going to look at Jesus's interaction with Mary and the disciples. And we're going to look at three things that Jesus gives them to overcome the trials that, that, that were ahead of them. They had a heap of trials coming before them, and we have trials in our everyday life. And so I want to look at the three things that Jesus gave them and see how they apply to us and how they help us overcome. So the first thing that he gives them, this is your next fill in the blank, is Jesus gave them peace. So first with Mary... It says the disciples understood the resurrection. They understood that it happened, but they didn't know why, and they left. And so where was Mary? They left her at the tomb just crying, probably just ugly crying at the tomb. You know, where you're like, don't look at me. Um, and it says Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So first off, we don't know what these angels look like. You know, sometimes it says in the Bible that uh, sometimes you entertain angels without knowing it. And so we don't know what these angels look like. But in, in the Old Testament, at least, most of the time when people saw the angels, they pretty much just fell on their face and were like, woe is me, I am going to die. And if you look at kind of some of the descriptions of angels in the Bible, you can kind of understand that. It doesn't describe them as, as flowing white robes and wings and a halo around their head. Usually it's like they had eyes all over their head and there were circles rolling around them. I mean, you know, so I don't know that that's what happened here. But even if that wasn't the case, there were two people suddenly in the tomb that weren't there a second ago. Like Mary's not in a place to think about this rationally like, hey, where were you guys a second ago? She's so distraught that, that it's just, it doesn't matter. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? So she's so distraught, she turns around and just doesn't even realize that it's Jesus. Maybe he's got a resurrected body and he doesn't, he looks different. Maybe the sun's in her eyes. Maybe she just can't see through the tears. I don't know why, but she looks at him and she said, this is the gardener. And it says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will... I will take him away. So here's Mary's thinking. I don't know where Jesus is. Here's the gardener. Maybe the gardener moved him, right? That's, that's the first thought is like, oh, you're the gardener. Maybe the gardener moved him. It, it, it almost feels like she's here like, hey, if you moved him, it's okay. 
Just let me know. I'll stand over here for five minutes. You just bring the body back. I won't say anything. I will carry him away. It'll be like nothing ever happens. And uh, it says that Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, in this passage, we have just seen the greatest one-word sermon ever given. Mary was distraught to the point that she's thinking maybe the gardener dragged the body away. And Jesus, in one word, calls to her, Mary. And there was enough love and compassion and, and, and familiarity between them that she knew Whatever, whatever reason she didn't recognize him, she heard that word and she knew that it was Jesus. And then it says, that, it says that he told her, don't cling to me because I've not yet ascended to my father. And I've heard some people say that, well, well, he didn't want her to touch him. But I think what he's saying there is, you think about Mary's state of mind. She turned around and she grabbed him and she's thinking, I am never going to let you go again. I lost you once, I will not lose you again. And, and, I, and I think what's happening here is Jesus is saying, look Mary, I'm not staying. Don't cling to me. I'm going to the Father and I'll be with you. But I can't stay here with you. And so next, when he's uh, talking to the disciples, the first thing he says to the disciples in chapters 19, 20, and 26, both interactions with him, he starts with, peace be with you. These were grieving, scared, and doubting men. They had gone from a place that felt like triumph to hiding in a, in, in, in a, two, in a uh, locked room. Like, it, at this point, they knew that Jesus was risen. And when they met, they still locked the door. So they were like, hey, Jesus is alive. Thomas locked the door. They're like, if Jesus is comes, he'll knock. And they'll be like, who is it? And they'll be like, it's Jesus. And they're like, Jesus who? Like, if you're Jesus, what song did I sing to you on, my, on your birthday? The thing, about, the thing about the peace of God, though, is it doesn't mean that we're winning every battle. And that's your next fill in the blank. It's not winning every battle. Hebrews 11, the, the last half of Hebrews 11 is referred to as the hall of faith. So I just want to read to you part of the hall of faith. It says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Hashtag blessed, right? Like, they're putting out their, their Facebook, they're like... I got a chance to wash my goat skin today, and I've really spruced up the cave. It's really nice. You know, I was chased out of the city, but hey, you know, blessed. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Here's what the Bible says about these people. Of whom the world was not worthy. That's what the Bible said about these people and their faith. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They had 
their reward. They saw it from afar and they never received it. And yet they went forward in faith anyway. It doesn't matter if we don't see the victory right when we want to see it because the next fill in the blank is that God works everything for our good. Jeremiah 29 11, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I know somebody in here is going to say, Hey, Jeremiah 29 11 was not written for you. It's a promise made to Israel. You can't claim that promise on yourself. And that's okay. Because Romans 8 28 says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is an example of God. These people, when he wrote this to them, they were being carried off into exile. They were being taken away from their promised land. They were being taken away from everything that they had known. And what was God's message to them? I have good planned for you. Whatever bad stuff you're going through, we can say, I know God has good plan for me. And in Jeremiah, we see a God whose people are going into exile, and he says, I have good planned for you. There was, there was a time in about 2015, um, we were living in this uh, two-story house, and Amanda got sick. And she was sick for about, for about a year and a half to two years. And it was a hard year and a half, two years. We had, uh, she had this, this pain in her legs, and we had this chair up in the loft of the house, and it was the only thing she could sleep in when she could sleep that didn't hurt. And so we basically lived in this little loft, in this, in this massive house. We lived in this loft. And it was so bad that I would have to carry her up and down the stairs because she couldn't walk up and down them. And when the kids, we, did, we homeschooled them, and we did everything in this little loft. I set up a cot in the loft, and I would sleep on the cot next to the chair, and this is just where we lived. This was our life for two years. We had a half a dozen MRIs. We went to a dozen different doctors. We had thousands of dollars of medical bills, and it was hard. It was really hard. But in the time since then, she has been able to minister to so many people who are going through suffering and pain because of what she went through. Yeah, it was hard when we went through it, but God had good for it. And she has been able to help other people out of that. God doesn't heal you except to send you back out to bring healing to somebody else. The, the, the problem with us is, is we're just not patient enough for it. You know, we used to be called like the microwave generation because I don't want to wait 45 minutes for my food to cook in the oven. I want to put it in the microwave and I'm really irritated that I have to wait two and a half minutes for it to heat up. At like the 30 second point, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I am going to die of starvation before you finish cooking my food, microwave. But it's not even that anymore because now we have TikTok. And so now we have the TikTok generation. Most TikToks are 12, sec 12 seconds. And by the third second, if I'm not entertained, I'm like, I am bored. Swipe, 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 swipe. 
We have no patience for anything. We're like, we're like, you know, this is going to work out. God, please let this work out. It didn't work out. Well, God must not have meant this. I'll go move on to something else because it didn't happen when I wanted it to. So, so first thing Jesus gives them is peace. The second thing that Jesus gives them is purpose. That's your next fill in the blank. So Jesus gives them purpose. The very first thing that he tells Mary after, you know, I say after he gave her peace, after he turned her world upside down and brought her back to, hey, things are going to be okay, the very next thing that he told her was, go and tell the disciples that you saw me. And in verse 21, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he said, he said to them again, peace be with you. So he says, peace be with you. And then he said to them again, peace be with you. So he gives them peace. These are scared guys, so he's got to say it twice. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We're not, we're not called to sit around and wait for our ship to come in. Right? We're not, we're not called to just hang on and be like, God, let me know when you're ready for me. I'll be here. There's some good stuff I found on YouTube. I was going to say TV, but nobody watches TV anymore and we watch YouTube. And the thing about purpose, because we're American, everything has to be big. So the thing about the purpose that Jesus gave them is our purpose, it must line up with his purpose. So when I, when I was in the Marines, you, you, get to pick, you get to pick your job. Right? I say, pick your job because, because this is the way it works. You say, hey, I want to do this. And they say, yes, you can do that or any other related field that we have a need for. And I went to boot camp with a guy who said, I signed up and I'm going to be small computer repair. And then we got out of training and they said, hey, you are a field radio operator. What that is, is that is somebody who goes out with the infantry, carries an 80-pound radio on their back, and tries not to get shot. That's, that's what a field radio operator is. And the thing about the Marines is every Marine goes through Marine combat training because every Marine is a rifleman. It doesn't matter what your job is. If you're a Marine, you are a rifleman. And you could be cooking, you could be in the motor pool, and at any point they could turn to you and say, here is a rifle, there is the enemy. And that is how we are as Christians. When the Great Commission was given, it wasn't just given to the 12 people standing there, it was given to every one of us. And as we walk out our lives, everything we do that's in the purpose of God will line up with that purpose. And that's your next fill in the blank. We walk out that purpose in our everyday life. John 14, 12, and 13 says, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If it doesn't glorify God, it's not in line with his purpose. If you've been asking for something, if you've been praying for something, and you ask the question, does this line up with God's purpose? If the answer is no, then you shouldn't necessarily expect a yes response to that. You know, 
we don't just glorify God on the weekend. And being the salt and the light of the earth does not have office hours. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, every moment of our life, every interaction that we have some, with somebody is an opportunity to glorify God. We have a purpose in everything we do. And I'm 42, and I'm standing here in front of you, and because I wasn't standing up here in front of you for the first 41 years of my life, does not mean that that life was without purpose. Every interaction I have is a chance to... See, here's the thing. Our lives are an example. We just get to choose if it's a good example or a bad example. Right? When we look at the things that our kids do as they grow up, you're like, where'd you learn that? Oh, you learned it from me. <laughs> because we're an example in everything that we do. So Jesus gives them peace Jesus gives them purpose, and the last thing that Jesus gives them is faith. So John 20, 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, John says that it was written so that we would have faith. Jesus didn't tell the disciples, hey, have faith. They had faith because Jesus was standing in front of them. If I was like, God, are you calling to me to do this? And the roof opened up and Jesus descended before me, I would have no trouble having faith that Jesus had called me to do something. So they didn't need to be told, hey, have faith. But we need to be told to have faith because we weren't there. We didn't stand before God. So I want to touch on the faith real quick. Because faith means we don't fight the way the world fights. That's your next fill in the blank. We don't fight the way the world fights. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 4 through 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our faith is, doesn't mean that our targets are different, but it also means that our tactics are different. See, a lot of times what we want to be, how, how many of you guys have seen the John Wick movies? And if you haven't seen them, you've probably seen some John Wayne movies or some Clint Eastwood movies, right? We want to be the Christian John Wick. When John Wick has a problem, he goes in the building and he's like, headshot, headshot, kick, punch. And that's how he deals with his problems. He's like, I'm going to kill whatever is in front of me. And that, that's, that's kind of how we can get when we're Christians. And we're like, I'm the Christian John Wick. I'm going to bring the word of God to bear. That's why I got a big Bible. <laughs> Believe. But 1 Peter 4.4 4 says, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I can go out and be a jerk to anyone. If I want to go out and be mistreated, I can go anywhere for that. I don't want to come to church to be mistreated. I want to come to church to see the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And so when I go out, I don't want to treat other people like a jerk. I want to treat them with the love and mercy of God so that they would know what I've received. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples 
If you have love for one another, we know the old song, they will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Our faith is what allows us to treat others as God treated us. I had a, I had a job, it was in software development, and I went in and I was the low man on the totem pole. And the senior developer, he was the senior developer, not because he knew what he was doing, but because he was the first person hired. And I found that out immediately, right? This was, we did government contracts, and we had social security numbers, and we had private information of people. And I said, hey, um, you know, the way we have this application designed, you can just type this into the URL and you could get all this information. I said, it's, it's not secure. And the thing about this job was he was not just the um, senior developer, but his wife was the QA person. And so we're in this meeting and I'm like, you know, this is really insecure. And I, I kind of showed him, I said, look, I can type this into the URL and you can do all this stuff to the database. And she said, Luke, there's no reason for this, there's no reason for us to uh, resort to personal attacks. And I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know the website was related to you or it was personal in some way that I'm, I'm trying to secure this information. And I knew when I left that meeting, I'm like, these people have it out for me because I was the new guy and I had come in and I had disrupted this little empire that they had built. And I said, I said, okay, what am I going to do in this situation? You know, um, and I went home and I prayed about it and I, and I came to the conclusion that that it, it, it says, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And so I said, all I can do, I can go in there, I can be the best that I can be, and I can be the best employee that I can be. And a week later, they quit. And they quit. And see, they had played this game before where when they didn't get what they want, they would be like, oh, I'm going to quit. And then they'd quit if they didn't get what they wanted. And then the CEO would call them and they'd be like, please come back, please come back. But what happened here is I had gone in and I had shown that there was a different way, that there was a, a better way to handle this. And so this time when he went to the manager and he said, I'm going to quit if you don't get rid of him, he said, okay, but if you quit, you're not coming back. And they said, well, we're, we're out of here. And the office was much better after that. But it was because I didn't go in and play the game that they played. I went in and said, all I can be is who Christ called me to be. 1 Peter 3.16 says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. The second, and this is one of the big things, the second reason that they had faith because Jesus met them where they were. So there was no requirements put on them. There was no qualifications put on them. Mary was lost and alone at the tomb. The apostles were hiding in a locked room, afraid of the Jews. Thomas said, I got to see the nail. Thomas was like, if somebody appears before me. If he doesn't have a nail hole in his hand, I don't believe it. And what did Jesus say? Did Jesus come in and was like, hey, I heard you didn't believe. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. <laughs> if you don't understand that reference, it's okay. Just know that it was hilarious. Right. Um, 
But Jesus met them where they were. Mary was at the tomb, wasn't going to leave. Jesus went to the tomb. The disciples were hiding in a locked room. Jesus walked through the wall to find the disciples. Thomas said, I need to see the hand. Jesus said, here's my hand. Touch the hole. Touch my side. God found Moses exiled in the desert. Moses was called to bring out the people of Israel from Egypt. God set him up as the second person only to Pharaoh's son. And the first thing that Moses did to try to help his people got him exiled. God found him 40 years in the desert. Matthew was a tax collector and called to be a disciple. Mary was a prostitute who was possessed by demons and Jesus called her. It doesn't matter where you are in your life because Jesus will meet you where you are. You know, you go into a church and you're like, wow, there's a lot of old people in this church. Or you go into a church and you're like, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young people in this church. Or, wow, this, this church plays rock music. And you, you know what I found out about this church not long after I got here? After, as I talked to a lot of people, I was like, wow, there are a lot of former meth addicts at this church. Because Jesus doesn't care. You were a meth addict? That's fine. You were a former devil, uh, uh, demon-possessed prostitute? That's fine. You have screwed up your life? That's fine. Jesus will meet you where you are. And I, right? And I will not, I'm not going to turn around and put my own qualifications on somebody and say, hey, you get your life together, I'll tell you about Jesus. Hey, you sort this out, I'll tell you about my church. No, I want to tell you about my church so that Jesus can get your life together, so that Jesus can sort this out. Um, I, I know I'm, I'm going along here. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. We're wrapping it up. Um, you know, there was a guy who... Well, okay, another story for another time. So, here's, here's, here's the last fill in the blank. It didn't matter to them because their faith wasn't in themselves. They were enough because they had him. He was enough. If I walk into a problem, how many of you guys have heard the verse, God doesn't give you what you can't handle? If you've raised your hand, you're lying. It's not an actual verse. It's just a myth. It's a myth. Everything in our life is stuff we can't handle. Have you woken up one morning or got to the end of the day and you were like, hey life, could you go a little easier on me tomorrow? Because it was really rough today and I could use an easy day. Right? We're not enough, but he is. Thomas. How do we know Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Can you imagine being one of the 12 disciples and you're just known as Doubting Thomas? That's how you're known. Um, at the church that I came from, we were the family that had problems. That's who we were. That's how we were known by. I knew it growing up. I knew it by the way I was treated. We were the problem family. Thomas was doubting Thomas. In 2004, I went to India for work. When I was in India, I was in the city called Chennai. In Chennai, there is a place called St. Thomas Mount. It's not really a mountain. It's more like a, a really big hill. At the top of this mountain is a church. At the bottom of this mountain is a church. 
20 years or so after Jesus' resurrection, Thomas sailed across the ocean to India to a people he'd never been to, to a language he didn't speak. And over the course of years, Thomas established a thriving community of Christians. If you go to India, there are two menus in every restaurant, a normal menu and a vegan menu, because half the population is, is vegan. Because in Hindu, cows are sacred. If you go over there, you will see people at various times walking a painted cow down the road because cows are sacred. In a land where everything was Hindu, Thomas went, doubting Thomas, went with a peace, with a purpose, and with a faith and established such a strong community of Christians that 2,000 years later, there is still a mountain called St. Thomas Mount. It's called that because that's where the Hindus of that time killed him with spears. And at the bottom of that church, there is a, there is a, a thing that may or may not contain his bones. I don't know. That's what it says. It's his bones. I don't know. But 2,000 years later, there is still a thriving community of Christians in India because Doubting Thomas went. If you are struggling, if you are afraid, if you are not enough, it is okay because God is enough. Look, uh, Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's the joy that was set before him? You. You were the joy that was set before him. He came to bring salvation to the people and to creation. You were the joy that was set before him. You are the, perp- are, you are the reason that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when we have that, when we know that, we can't do anything but go out and shout it from the rooftop. I want to end with this. When trials come at you, you meet them with the peace of God that passes all understanding. A purpose from God who knit you together before the foundations of the world and called you forth. And with a faith, knowing that the God of the universe walks with you, provides for you, and brings about the victory for you. That is how we overcome the trials in our life, with a peace and a purpose and a faith that comes from Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are to us. We thank you for what you've done to us. We thank you for the sacrifice and the love and the grace and the mercy that you poured out on us. Lord, help us to be the salt and the light of the earth. Help us to be the example in everywhere that we go. Lord, we pray and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I got one more thing before you go. So we've been watching this bumper now for eight months, right? Next month is our last week in John, and then we're off to a, a new sermon series. It's really good. I'm excited for you guys to see it. But we've been listening to this, so I just want to give you a little test. If you remember the verses from the bumper, right? So I'll start it, and you just say them along with me if you can, right? In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, the next one. In Him was light, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will will take your joy from you. So next week, John 21, it's overcoming your past. We have a baptism class right here after service. If you want to get baptized, thank you for coming. God bless. I'm sorry I kept you so long. <laughs>